Father, I'm grateful that Ben has led us in such wonderful singing this morning and that we have been able to open our hearts to You and to share our love with You and to encourage each other by, by our, our praise and our adoration of You. I'm grateful, Father, that You've answered Lance's prayer and that You are a part of our time together as Your family. In this, this hour, Father, You are present. I'm grateful for John reminding us that, that in this life and in this world, there is a special kind of happiness that comes to us from your throne. And I'm grateful that Jared has reminded us that there is great happiness in giving. And we think so much of receiving in this world, but there is profound happiness in being a cheerful giver. And Father, thank you for this word that Roger has just read to us. We want to to press our minds into it at this point and to ask You to give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it. For our hearts do swell with the idea that You love us. And that in this love, You have not only shown us mercy, but You have given us righteousness in Christ. And this to us is the sound of good news. And this to us is the love of a King. And so, Father, bless us as we think about these words that Paul has written not only to the church in Corinth, but to us these many centuries later. Bless us in this time, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A fellow by the name of George Wright began a life of crime in 1962. He and a friend went to a gas station that was owned by a fellow by the name of Walter Patterson. They, uh, they tried to get the money. They were not very successful in it, so they started to beat Walter down. Finally, he was beaten down so badly that he gave them the money that they were demanding. It turned out in 1962 to be about $70 in crumpled bills. George's partner in the crime was so incensed that he shot Walter at point-blank range. After the robbery and the shooting, George ate two hamburgers played a game of shuffleboard, and was arrested. And the trial uh, eventually sentenced him to 15 to 30 years. He went to prison, but he was a, a, a sort of an energetic and angry young inmate. And 15 to 30 years sounded like too much time, too much precious time for him to give to the federal uh, prison system. So he uh, connected with two convicts in prison, uh, a couple of convicts in prison, they escaped by hot-wiring the warden's car and made their escape. It's 1972. He stays under the radar until 1972, where he hijacks a plane from Detroit to Miami. From there, Algiers, from Algiers to Germany and to France and finally to Portugal. And he is staying under the radar and is even changing his name. He's no longer going to be known as George. He's going to be Georgie. And somewhere in those, those years in Portugal, he becomes a Christian. He is introduced to the gospel. He is baptized. He joins a church during that period of time. He marries. He has children. He also becomes very active in the community. He turns from crime and, and, and not only provides for his family, but becomes very generous in the community. He cleans graffiti off the walls of the buildings in the city of Lisbon. 
He helps renovate an outreach center to children who have been infected with the HIV virus. He serves dinners to homeless people. He plants flowers in public flower gardens. He raises his family, does not even violate the law in the least of senses, like with a parking ticket. And for 40 years, that's his life, until on September 26, 2011, six armed uh, policemen, uh, uh, Portuguese policemen, arrive at his door with a search warrant that's been issued, issued at the request of the United States with Interpol. They arrest, they find George Wright, and they arrest him. And uh, eventually, Portugal is going to deny the extradition request to the United States. And the reason is, at the hearings, the central issue was not whether or not they had arrested the right man, but whether or not they had arrested the same man. Now, we could dismiss this story very easily by saying that once he became a Christian, he should have turned himself in. Probably should have. But the thing that strikes me is the question. They knew that they had arrested the right man, but had they arrested the same man? The question they kept asking themselves in this central committee hearing was this, can a person actually change? The Gospel says yes to the question, can a person actually change? That's what we saw last week in the conversion of Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. Saul went from a destroyer of churches to a planter of churches. That's why we never sell short the Gospel. The only reason that Saul, his life was turned around and he became the person that he was in the kingdom of God is because God went after him. He is the least likely of candidates to receive the Gospel or even respond to the Gospel. But God is working in his life and God is going after this Saul that is destroying the church. We also saw, albeit in a brief, uh, brief way, that the Cornelius story that follows in Acts chapter 10 is about the gospel going worldwide. That it's not just the, the message, the sound of good news that impacts people's lives and brings about a, a profound change in who they are and how they see themselves and how they act and live and, and speak and respond to life from there on out. But the gospel is for all people in all places, in all times. They are all to hear the gospel. The gospel that changes lives is to go to, into the lives of everyone everywhere. It's worldwide. It's no longer tribal. It's no longer national. Now that sounds so audacious. That this is what God wants to have happen with this gospel. But let's break it down into something that we can get our minds around this morning. It's up here on the screen. I want you to see it just for a second. God desires San Antonio to look like His kingdom. That's what the gospel does to people. And that is for whom the gospel is for. But here's the thing. When we think about the gospel going worldwide, and we think about, especially in light of the statement that God desires the, the city of San Antonio to look like His kingdom, the reality is, is that Christianity is not doing very well right now. 
Consider the results of, of the Pew study on religion in America that was uh, just a, a year or so old. What the Pew Foundation, and they, just because they call it Pew doesn't mean it has, it has anything to do with church pews. <laughs> you know, they have no vested interest one way or another. They're just about the information. What they found is that Protestant Christianity in America has dropped from 53% to 48% since 2007. If you look at a graph, that's 5%, but it's a plummet. One out of three Americans under the age of 30 have no religious affiliation whatsoever. The fastest gra- in fact, the fastest growing group in America is the group that checks no affiliation when filling out a survey. In fact, uh, among that group of 18 to 30, 32-year-olds, uh, the, the term none, N-O-N-E, has been coined to refer to them because when it comes to religious affiliation, they check none. Now, you would think that this is a worldwide phenomenon, that this is a trend that's happening worldwide, and that's not the case. This is a trend that's happening only in our country right now. The trend in religion going downward appears only to be happening in America. A fellow by the name of Jonathan Rausch, who is a writer for the Atlantic Monthly, has coined a new word in the English language that is a combination of, the, of two words, apathy and atheist. It is the word apatheist. Apatheist. And his definition that comes out of an article where he uses this word for the very first time is this. It is the disinclination to care all that much about one's own religion and an even stronger disinclination to care about other people's religion. i read that again. It is the disinclination to care all that much about one's own religion and an even stronger disinclination to care about other people's. One author uh, describes it this way. Uh, there are literally thousands of cars that drive past the same Starbucks every day that are filled with people who are open to the idea of coffee but would never, ever, ever think about pulling into the Starbucks to get a cup. Now, this is why, as a church, we have to be clear on our purpose. That purpose, as Jesus stated it in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, is that we as disciples of Jesus are to go into the world and to make what? We're to make what, church? We go into the world and we make disciples of all nations. What Jesus is saying to us, all these centuries removed, is that the work of the church is to bring a godly culture into our city that redirects and repurposes and redefines what human life is all about. Now, there's a tagline, if you've been listening to the radio uh, ads that we do, or the radio spots that we do for the last uh, 12 years, about 12 years, we've used the same tagline at the very end. The tagline is this, the MacArthur Park Church of Christ, connecting God and people. God uses the church to make that introduction. God uses our church, our church family, the disciples that make up this church family to help people in our community, and not just in our community, in our city, in our neighborhoods, but people around the world to become more deeply committed Christians, to be more deeply committed disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, the big question is, what can we do to make that happen? 
Which brings us to the passage that Roger read to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a beautiful passage and it's so rich in in meaning and and teaching. We're only going to be able to skim just barely below the surface. But I want to give you three things to think about as we begin to think about how we help the city of San Antonio to look like God's kingdom in terms of people's lives blossoming with the fruit of the Spirit, where they're generous, they're, they're loving, they're gentle, they're kind, they're forgiving, they're faithful, all of their, they persevere, they're patient. All of these things. They recognize God. It's God that becomes the center of their heart. It's God that fills that hole in their heart and, and people stop uh, filling their hearts with idols and actually enslave and destroy them. Let me give you three things to think about this morning. The first one is this. We need to connect to everyone. We need to connect to everyone. Basically, it means that we are to be a welcoming church, that we are welcoming as a church, that we are welcoming as individuals. And this is is not just my job or the job of the staff or the job of the greeters. This is the job of every member of MAC, regardless of how long you've been here. Think for a moment about today's culture and why somebody might be here visiting with us today. One reason might be that some one of you or someone connected with our church got really excited about what's going on here and invited somebody that they're close to, somebody that they love, somebody that they care about, have invited them to come. And that's the reason that they're here this morning and we're grateful for that. But more times than not, the reason that somebody is here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, the reason they're here, it's probably because there's a crisis of some sort in their life. And they need to know that God's people care. They need to know that God cares because they're in a crisis of some sort. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we do that congregational greeting at the very beginning. One of the interesting things is you stand up here and you're watching the the greeting going on and then Ben begins the, the, the first song and you see a couple of responses. The introverts among us are saying, oh, thank goodness he finally started that song so I can kind of, you know, Get in my little island here. Get in my bubble again. Where the extroverts are going, oh man, he started singing. I still have a hundred people to greet. But the reason we do it is for every person to know that when they have come here to worship or to find God or to find some kind of help, that they were seen. That they were welcomed and that somebody smiled at them and that somebody spoke to them. Somebody cared about them being in this place at this time. In other words, their coming mattered to us. Which is really, really important when it comes to sharing the gospel. That they get that we really care. You know, in the 1950s and 70s, the overwhelming majority of people had a Bible. They had heard of Jesus. And at a very minimum, they shared a value system about what was right and wrong. And they would feel guilty over some of the same things that we would feel guilty about as well. And evangelism was basically nudging people to do the right thing. It was to make the right kind of response. And then the 80s and the 90s rolled around. And the boomers are coming of age. And they are looking for community. They're looking for uh, uh, quality of product. They're looking for help with their kids. And churches began to grow because people were looking for options. And they sort of chose what was best. Not the way that it is today. Most people become a disciple of Jesus today in our culture because someone got to know them. And in the process, that person got to hear the positive effects 
the, the blessing that is in the gospel, how it positively affects human lives, how the gospel changes everything. And that's why we're welcoming. That's why we're opening doors to people's hearts. You know, Brian McLaren had this really uh, tremendous insight that I've, I've thought about for several months now and just thinking about it. And I think he's on to something. You know, the, the way that, that, that typically we, we think about people coming to church is that when they come to church, those that are not members of our church family, we want them to behave. We want them to dress the right way. We want them to behave the right way. And if they behave the right way, then they're going to be welcomed and they're going to be embraced. And then while they are behaving rightly in our assemblies, our classes, or in our midst, then they get the message that they begin to believe and then they belong. Where when you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, that's where He begins. Sitting down at a table with Pharisees and people that were considered to be known sinners and profound sinners, they first belonged in His presence. And as they became comfortable and felt loved in His presence, then they began to listen and to hear the message that they believed, which changed the way that they lived their life from there on out. Over and over and over again. You know, one of the things that Paul writes in this fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians is that the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. What happens when you begin to ponder, as, as John uh, led us this morning, uh, thinking about the cross of Jesus during our commun- communion devotional, what happens when you begin to ponder Christ's love? And you think about the sacrifice and the patience and the long-suffering and the blessing and the gentleness and the kindness and the welcoming into the arms of God that His, His sacrifice, His love brings. And when we begin to wrap our heads around what the cross of Christ means, then we begin to see that it is Christ's love that becomes the logic for our life. That it is what compels us. It becomes the logic. It becomes the trajectory of our life. And this is why, number two, we should never forget our conversion. Most believers forget the magnitude of what Christ did at their conversion after a couple of years. Recently had an opportunity to talk uh, for several hours until about 1.30 in the morning with, with a good brother about what our lives were like before Christ and what they are now with Christ. And as we talked, there was a growing sense as I revisited that ancient history, there was a sense that I had been rescued from a trajectory in life that would have destroyed me and destroyed the people that I loved and would have destroyed everyone else around me. Who I am today as a disciple of Jesus is, is different I'm a different human being because of the Gospel. I am changed because the Gospel changes everything. I think about money differently. I think about marriage differently. My value system, all of that is different because of the Gospel. I am a completely different human being. And that's what I'm reminded of every time I read the 17th verse where he says, if anyone is in Christ, what? The, say it with me, new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. I had a friend in another state that um, uh, loved buying new vehicles. And the way that he did it is he, he always bought 
He, well, what he would do is he always wanted, he always said he wanted the top 10% of a vehicle. So about the time it came to get a new set of tires is when he would buy a new vehicle. But he would always get the same color, same model, same style, same everything. That, so nobody knew that he had a new vehicle. How do you feel about a new car? How do you feel about a new car? I mean, it's great. It's, 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 it's a, a great experience. You're proud. You want to show people. My mother traded in her car um, uh, several months ago and um, uh, decided that uh, she just couldn't hold back. So she had to call somebody and she called me and said, guess what I bought? I bought a brand new SUV. Bright red. I said, Mom, bright red, really? She goes, I love it. I said, I'm so happy that you love it. The old clunker is gone. And God has made you a red Corvette. You sense that, that, you know, when you realize that you were an old clunker, that you were beat up, that you were falling apart, the wheels were coming off of the axle. That you were just sputtering along. You thought you were speeding, but you were just sputtering along until the gospel of Jesus came into your life and changed you. And you began through the power of the Holy Spirit to become the human being that God always wanted you to be. That makes a difference in people's life. You become light. That's what it means for the new to have come. To be excited all over again like you are with a new car. To be excited all over again because every Sunday as we think about the cross of Jesus and His love that makes our salvation, our forgiveness so, you get excited all over again that I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see. When's the last time you became so overly thankful for your salvation that it brought tears to your eyes? The sense of being rescued. When was the last time you were so thankful for your salvation that you excitedly invited someone to experience it with you? And that's why the last thing we'll talk about this morning is you know, we demonstrate the kingdom. Verse 20, we're Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us, which He is. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, when people see your life, they have to get an idea of what the gospel is all about. They have to get an idea of the joy, the treasure that is a part of what it means to be in God's kingdom. They have to get some kind of a message. I, I don't know what that person believes or where they come from or what they do, but whatever it is that I see in their life, I want a piece of that as well. You know, when Ellen and I were missionaries in Brazil, we were there for a lot of years. We were part of a church plant in Brasilia, Brazil, the capital of Brazil. And there were ambassadors all over the place because it was the capital of the fifth, fifth largest nation in the world. And from time to time, especially in those years where we began uh, to, to have some very close friends in the embassy, the American embassy, on the 4th of July, we would go to the ambassador's home there in Brazil. The role of the ambassador to Brazil was not just to communicate American information, but to also show what Americans are like to a people who might not know any Americans personally. 
And it was a 24-7 job. There was never a moment when that man was not the ambassador. You know, when Paul goes to Corinth back in that first century, he went into a city that was full of, 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 of temples dedicated to all kinds of idols. There was no name recognition for Christ in Corinth. There were no holidays like Christmas and Easter that would sort of feed that. He just sort of shows up with his life and with his message. And the message is, Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And his life backed up that message. That it was, a, it, it was a message worth listening to because of what people saw in his life. And you know, when you think about it, people tried to get him to shut up. You think about that early missionary journey there in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14 where he's going to Lystra and Derby and Iconium and they want to shut him up. And they drag him out of the city and stone him, to, they thought, to death. And he comes to himself, dusts himself off, goes back into the city. Why? The love of Christ compelled him. It was the logic of his life. Every person that's a member of our church family is an ambassador for God in San Antonio. Every member has a life to love God and to love people. And every member has a message. It is that, that God so loved the world that He gave His Son so that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. The message of the Gospel is that God wants everyone back. We live in a city where people are alienating themselves from the kingdom because they're walking away from God. The message of the Gospel is that God wants them back. And that's the message 24-7. I told this story a couple of Sunday nights ago when I had come back from Brazil that uh, you know, after this long trip back, uh, we'd been in Brazil for 10 days and we, a group of us, 13 of us, had been ministering to some missionaries uh, in all of South America, about uh, 10 or 11 nations for uh, a week. As we were coming back after this flight, it felt like murder. It was just, it was just a whipping. It was just, a, it was just, we get back and we're just worn out. Everybody at DFW is kind of going to their own gates to catch their connecting flights. And I just, that Sunday that we got back just happened to be the day that Texas finally won a, a game that counted against OU. And the airport was filled with, you know, if there was ever a day to wear burnt orange, it was that day. I'm telling you, man, I, you know, after, after last, you know, last Sunday, people were not wearing burnt orange. <laughs> You know, so they're, they're excited that they, you know, Oklahoma is a game that counted. And everybody at my gate, going back to San Antonio, wearing bird orange, and I'm kind of standing around, asked me if I saw the game. I said, no, you know, I'm just coming back from Brazil. And uh, I said, but I heard about the game. I heard it was, uh, it was just fantastic. And he goes, yeah, it was. And we just started talking. He's all excited about it and everything. And we, we strike up this conversation. I mean, we're at this gate, and I'm going, man, it is, I am so tired. And we start talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And finally, he stands up and he says, hey, man, you look like you play football. I say, yeah, I played you know, only high school. But he goes, I did too. And we start talking. He ended up going to the same high school and graduating from the same high school that my kids did. We start making all these connections. He just sticks his hand in and goes, hey, my name is such and such. And I go, oh, it's really glad to meet you. And I stick my hand out and I go, I'm Mark Absher. And he stops and he goes, are you the guy on the radio? And I go, yeah, unfortunately so, you know. And uh, he goes, man, I love those spots. 
And then he began to get real emotional. And tears, I mean, he's, he's just tearing up and he begins to go into his story about some of the bad things that have happened to him. And, you know, I'm listening, trying to encourage him and all of this. And in the end, I say, man, I, you know, I just I want to invite you to come be a part of a, of, of, of a, of a, a very special place to me, my church. And he goes to MacArthur Park Church of Christ, right? And I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, connecting God and people. I said, you got it, yeah. And he gives me his phone number, and I text him when, uh, you know, later in the week and say, hey, you know, can you come? And I, I don't know. He may be here this morning. I hope he is. And if he is, I want him to know how welcome he is. But you just never know where the kingdom of God is going to break into somebody's life. Because we welcome and we're open and because we know... You you know, I'm not much of a scholar in anything in this world, but the scholar... I am more so a scholar in this than anyone else in this room. And that is what God has done in my life. That's why we never forget our conversion. And that's why we always demonstrate the kingdom wherever we go. We begin to implement that in the way that we conduct ourselves in this city. Then slowly but surely, surely, and even with some speed picking up perhaps, as God works it, there is light that begins to dawn in this city as people begin to recognize that God is not some kind of a cosmic killjoy, but God is the author of the most perfect peace, the most inexpressible joy that a human being could ever experience, even in the depths of a valley, even in a pit, even in a cave, even when things are not going right, because God makes Himself known through His Spirit to us and through His people. And we want to give you that opportunity this morning. If maybe you've been thinking about responding to God's call in your life, we're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. Maybe it's to give your life to the Christ and to become His disciple and to begin that new trajectory in life that is full of all of these blessings. If that is true about you this morning, then I would ask that you come down and talk to these shepherds about it. And for the rest of us, we get another opportunity, another couple of minutes while we're all together to praise God. Another couple of minutes to say, God, I don't get everything, but I at least get that You love me and I get that Your Son died for me and I get that You want me to experience life that is abundant and I get, Father, that You're trying to turn me into the human being that I've all, You always intended for me to be. And so as we sing this song, let's not forget the trajectory of our life when we were lost. But let's praise God because of the trajectory of life that we're on right now in the kingdom. And let's stand and do it. In loving kindness, Jesus came.